Well, I want to just continue on this series we've been in and, and on the culture of the kingdom of God, his kingdom, our culture. And man, it was so good. Pastor Sam last week. Amen. Good word speaking on the Beatitudes, and he went into, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And talking about the rich young ruler and Jesus' conversation with him and challenging him to sell all that he had, and he went away sad. But, and Jesus, Jesus was sad for him. He said, Sam's point last week was he lacked lack. And I thought that was good. We have a, we need to, being needy in the kingdom of God is good. Amen. Being needy for him and for him and his righteousness is good. And so there's a spiritual, um, poor in spirit condition that God calls us to. And, and when we talk about the culture of the kingdom of God and this being the way things are done around here, I mean, and here being in his kingdom and seeking first his kingdom, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds as we're coming into his kingdom. I, I know there's that initial time when we come into the kingdom of God and we're in this shock state. It's culture shock. And we're, we're getting used to how God does things because it's completely different than how we've done things. Amen. And so we're learning how to be conformed to his culture, not trying to make the kingdom or God conform to our culture. I want my life to be relevant to his kingdom and not try to make his kingdom relevant to me, but I want to be part of what he's doing because he's the king and he's on the throne. Amen? And then two weeks ago, I spoke on mustard seed perspective. You know, the kingdom, he says, the kingdom is like unto a mustard seed that a man sowed and it grew fast and, and it turned into this great plant that was bigger than all the other plants, became like a tree and the birds gathered in it. But in that, I emphasized a few things that, you know, the, the, the world looks upon the kingdom of God as something insignificant, small, weak, and powerless, but they don't see as God, as we, God sees. They can't see it. They can't perceive it. But what was the significance to us is that there's significance in the small things that we do in kingdom living. And then there's us embracing power through weakness which is a change of mindset from where we've come from in the world and then there's us trusting god for the increase you know we have a make it happen mentality sometimes where we try to just make things happen and yet god is saying trust me for the increase when we sow and when we water god brings the increase and that's a much better less stressful way to live when God does it. Amen? And so that's where we left off, and we left off at the mustard seed. And I want to take it up this morning in Matthew 13 with these, this parable about the leaven. And Jesus said in verse 33 of Matthew 13, he spoke another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pieces, pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it brings life and understanding and revelation, Lord, to our hearts. 
God, we just open ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every heart this morning. Let not one of us leave this place the same. But Lord, we want to grow in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, he's just explained the parable of the sower and the seed, and we talked about the mustard seed and his teachings on the nature of the kingdom and emphasizing this new kingdom. What is new to them, at least. And, and in this parable, Jesus is emphasizing leaven. He's emphasizing the nature of leaven. And, and many times in Scripture, leaven is referred to negatively, like the leaven of sin that leavens the whole lump, and it's a negative thing. But here it's a positive thing because it's speaking of the kingdom. And the nature of leaven, I'm not a baker. You know, this is, this is funny when we learn these parables. I'm not, I didn't grow up in an agricultural area. I was, I was a suburban kid, so, but I have Google. So I can learn some things. And about baking bread, I don't bake bread either. You wouldn't want me to bake some bread for you. But as I understand it, okay, as I understand it, this leaven works and it permeates and it transforms and it takes time, but eventually it affects the entire loaf. Eventually. It's hidden from the eye, not perceivable, but it's powerful beneath the surface. And so you see this, this theme that continues of the hidden kingdom, but powerful and transformative and, and, and permeating and ex- advancing and extending And so just like the kingdom of God starts with just Jesus and his disciples, and yet it starts small, but it begins to permeate and affect the whole known area. In 30 years, the gospels preached to that entire region. And you look on the outside and you see the structures of man are still in place and and, and the Roman government's still there and all this hasn't changed. But beneath the surface is the leaven of the kingdom of God spreading and it is is empowering and changing and transforming lives. You may not perceive it, but it's working. It's permeating. It's transforming. The new form of the kingdom of Jesus he was trying to relate to his disciples. It's hidden, powerful, transforming agent in the world that would eventually manifest fully, externally, when he returns, the Messiah returns, and he establishes his kingdom on earth physically. We see it. But I also think as we look at this, we can see how the kingdom of God works in our lives individually. You know, recall the kingdom of God is where he reigns. The realm and the place of his reign and his rule in our lives that's what it means and so when you think of that and he says it's a, he, he talks about this parable and he says it was an three pecks of meal and i looked that up and three pecks of meal was equivalent to 40 liters now 40 liters doing some math is 88 pounds of meal that's a lot of bread so you put some leaven in a lot of meal And guess what? The more the leaven, the longer it takes to permeate and affect fully. Are you with me? But given enough loaf, enough meal, and enough leaven, it'll eventually infect or affect the entire loaf. And so I thought that was interesting because with that much, this guy says three, um, France says, Three measures of meal would be about 40 liters, 80 pounds, which would make enough bread for a meal for 100 people. A remarkable baking for an ordinary woman. 
And so the first thing I want you to see from the leaven parable this morning is this, that the kingdom of God is about patient growth. Being patient in the growing process. We don't like long processes, do we? We don't like things that take a while or slow. We'd like it to speed up. We'd like things, God, can you just hurry up and deal with this thing in my life? And I want to move on, but God's still dealing and working in us deeper and deeper and deeper. We don't like the slow process, but a baker must be a patient person to produce good bread. Because if you pull it early, you know you get that doughy stuff. So there's a patience in the process. And, you know, given enough time and enough dough and yeast, a tremendously powerful influence in the meal. But it's the second part we don't like. It's the time. Previous, previous parables talking about the seed and the sower. It's the seed, time, and harvest. Waiting for it. So all throughout these kingdom parables, you see, a, you see a process, a hidden process that there's time involved, that we wait for it. We wait patiently for what God's doing. And how does that affect how we do things, how we live our kingdom life? That we're patient with the process of growth that God is doing deeply in their lives. Because if we're going to produce deeply transformed, I said deeply transformed disciples, then there's a slowed down spirituality that's involved in that. There's a slowing down and allowing time. And what does that look like in your life? It looks like solitude. It looks like silence sometimes and making room for God to speak to you. When you go through life and you experience things, and you experience emotions, you experience hard times, you experience trials and tribulations, because Jesus says in this life you'll have those, we don't just move on and just kind of try to put it behind us, but we let God speak to us in those things. Because in those experiences and in those trials and tribulations, God wants to bring about a true gold and precious work in your life. I'm not saying he's the author of those things. But I'm saying when we take even what was bad and meant for evil and meant for harm, and we give it to the Lord, he turns it for good and he begins to transform us through it. And so your experience, God can use to shape you. And, and through that, he's working in the leaven. And he's, he's kneading the dough. Secondly, we got to be patient with this process in other people. Oh, come on. Got quiet in here. I know you. You never got impatient with anybody. With all humility, it says Ephesians. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, verse 2, he says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance. Come on, big smiles. Tolerance for one another in love. And God's doing a process in them. And he's doing a process in you. And, he's, and that leaven, you see, the leaven had to be kneaded. Let me see if I get this right. <laughs> the leaven had to be kneaded so that the gluten could form and it becomes more elastic dough that can become really good bread. How many know others can eat from what God's doing in your life? Others can eat from what God's doing in your life when we let him through the process and we are being patient in the growing. I know 
I started with patience. You guys are all like, oh, man. But number two is the inside out. You see, leaven works from the inside out. And this is the inside out kingdom of God. I said it's the inside out kingdom of God. His powerful transforming agent at work in your heart to bring you under his rule and reign. Because we all know that we don't just start off like fully submitted to God. Or some of you did, maybe. And maybe you can tell me how that works. But <laughs> we don't start that way. And so God's bringing us into that place of understanding what it means to be under his rule and reign in our life. And that's also a process. But he says in Luke 17, 21, he says, Nor will they say concerning the kingdom of God, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is what is within you. It's within you. And a verse a passage I quote quite often out of Philippians when Paul's talking to them and he says this, he says, so then my brethren, beloved, oh, beloved, you can just stop there. Turn to somebody and say, you need to be loved. You need to be loved. All right. But just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God. You get this part. Don't stop on verse 12, okay? You're like, I'm going to work it out. Ugh! And you get constipated Christianity. <laughs> but you got to go on to verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. Somebody say in you. In you. Woo! Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love that. Man, if I had to do it on my own, I'm a mess. If I had to work this out, but God's, we just got to cooperate with what he's doing on the inside and work it out. And that is when God begins to reveal truth of his kingdom in our heart, we then begin to apply it to how we live. That's the working out. See, he can't do that part. That's our part. You got quiet. That's our part. So when he reveals the truth, saying you have, you've heard it said this, or you believe this, and that's a, that's a misbelief. That's not true. But here's the truth. And the Bible says that when you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, that's not one time. That's just moment by moment that Jesus is revealing that truth to us. And so... The working out is me responding to the truth he's revealed and allowing God to work it in my life. Saying, God, I see that. Now I just submit to your transforming power to make me into who you've called me to be. Because he's working it in the inside. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is working the leaven of his kingdom into our lives and strengthening the dough of our lives that we are, as we are being transformed. Now keep on, now turn over to the, uh, one of the other parables, and it's in verse 44 of Matthew 13. <clears throat> so you see the permeating, transforming, slowly spreading power of the kingdom of God hidden from the eye in the leaven parable. But then we go to verse 44, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found 
I want you to see this closely. Now, now understand, parables are not allegories. So not everything in the parable has to be interpreted. There's a main point. What is it? It's a treasure. But we can't look at how the man responded to finding the treasure. There's something intriguing about finding treasure, is there not? All of us have this like secret desire, maybe, maybe it's just me, to ha- find a big treasure and you know, not have to work anymore. That'd be nice. It's intriguing when you hear this, but which he found it and he hid it again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells some. Which version do you have? Oh, yeah, all. Okay. That he has. <laughs> that was the flesh inspired version. Um, sells all that he has and buys that field. And then he says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. He's speaking of the worth and the value of God's kingdom, his rule and his reign in our lives. It's so precious. I know Pastor Sam could do the voice. My precious. I can't do it. I'll just butcher it. But, oh, I hear it. It's precious in our lives. When we find that treasure, when we find that great pearl of great price. And I, I love this. I love this the, the commonality. Both stories involve three things. Parables involve three things. Discovering selling and buying discovering selling and buying you see it's a portrayal of the beauty and the value of the kingdom as well as the cost of our discipleship you see the cost becomes less of an issue when you understand the value don't you the value and the precious worth of the kingdom of God of Jesus is so great that whatever cost is associated seems like nothing because he paid a much greater price for me to even be able to access this amazing kingdom. The worth, the value. And that made me think of this song that John Bono of U2 wrote in 1987. You've heard it. He says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's a weird song. It's got weird lyrics in it. I won't go into them, but he talks about being with the devil. He talks about what appears to be the cross. I don't know. But you got a world out there that's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find. I'm looking for something. You see, the world's looking for the treasure. They're looking for the treasure. And they think they're going to find it in this field or that field or this field. And they don't. Or they can't see it in the field in front of them. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Maybe that's you this morning, but Jesus is here to show you what you've been looking for. And the actors, we look at the hidden treasure, we see an ordinary man about his day who never would have anticipated finding a treasure. He's just in the field and he finds the treasure and he's so overjoyed for finding it that he buys the field, sells all and buys that field. But he's a normal man. 
It's the appeal of this is that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to find this treasure that would be life-changing. You guys always hear that when people like win the lottery, oh, it changed my life. That's at first, but you know, statistics show that most of them, their lives fall apart within a few years. Because they weren't able to handle all that. His riches ruined them. But when you find the treasure of the kingdom of God, he, ain't, he may ruin you for a moment, but it's a different kind of ruin. It's a good ruin. Amen? You're ruined for his goodness. You're ruined for his love and his grace and his mercy. And then Pearl, it's a merchant. It's this wealthy man. And it's, it's intriguing because he's, he's somebody who spends his life seeking these pearls. And yet he finds a special one, one of great price. And sells all of his other pearls to purchase this choice merchandise, you know. And I think it speaks to how we assign value. The thing about the kingdom of God is it's priceless. It's priceless. There's no way to describe fully the surpassing value. That's all Paul says. It. It's the surpassing value. When I look at everything else in this world, it surpasses it. So much greater in value. His rule and his reign, the joy, the peace, the righteousness we experience being in his kingdom that we've been missing our whole lives until we experience it. That value, what would we do for it? And I would ask you a question and think about this in our society. Think about this in how people spend their lives trying to be well, right? How much would we pay for peace of mind? How much would we pay for a happy family? Come on. How much would we pay for good health? How much would we pay for true acceptance and love, for joy and pleasure, for a second chance in life? The price, the ransom is greater than any price we could pay, but it was paid in the cross. What would you do to find peace? We were watching this show last night, an old episode. How many like Bear Grylls? Right? Venture guy eats crazy stuff to survive. Cool British accent, right? Um, And he was doing this series where he was taking celebrities out in these places. And he takes Dion Sanders. Prime time. Anyone remember this guy? One of the greatest cornerbacks of all time. He won only only man to ever win a Super Bowl and a World Series. He played both sports. Really incredible. And Bear Grylls, I understand, is a believer. And maybe, uh, yeah, I think so. But it seemed from this show he was. Um, and they're having a conversation. And Dion opens up his heart to him. And it's on camera. This is national TV. I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. And he says, he says, you see, there I was in the peak of my career. I had the money. I had the power. I had the sex. I had it all. Yet I was completely empty on the inside. Completely empty on the inside. We won the Super Bowl and I got on the bus. I was the first on the bus and I didn't even go to the celebration. I went home to my, I went back to the hotel because I had fought so hard for this great achievement and yet it left me empty still. He goes, then my marriage fell apart. He goes through a divorce and he describes this and he describes losing his kids, the most precious things to him in his life. 
And he says, it was at that point that I turned and I lift my hands and I surrendered to the Lord and said, I'm yours. National TV is so awesome. And he shares this testimony of how God began to change his life and turned everything around. And you see, he goes, I discovered so much, something so much greater, so much pr more precious than anything I'd ever had in my life. And he made this statement. He goes, the moment it's about you is the moment you already lost. Both Carol and I wrote that down. We're like, wow. The moment it's about you is the moment you've already lost. Grew up in a pover impoverished home and in, the, in a gang-infested gang, uh, neighborhood and trying to stay on the straight path and his mom working hard. You know, just amazing testimony. And later on, he's trying to follow Bear Grylls up this, climbing up a huge rock, and he's afraid, so he begins to pray in tongues. I love it. He's praying in tongues. And he's explaining to the TV guys, like, hey, I'm just speaking this language to my heavenly father. So it gives me peace. Well, how much would you pay for peace? How much would you pay for well-being, for health, for the finding the treasure. I think of Psalms 103 says, forget not his benefits. You see, when you're going through life and you're facing hard things and you're struggling and all that, you got to take a step back. Woo! You got to take a step back and go, God, your benefits. Who forgives all my iniquity. I said he forgives all my iniquity. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with loving kindness. He causes my years to be satisfied with good things. He satisfies our years with good things. Come on. The benefits far out, see, out exceed the cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it all. Amen. And the word of God is your map to finding the hidden treasure with the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom culture is about finding treasure. Number three, we are endeavoring to find the treasures of his kingdom that God has made available to us. The continual unveiling of the revelation. This is why we're in this series. I just feel this so strongly how important this is. Because the, this culture is going to try to shape you and form you and inform how you view things and your perspective. And we've got to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Because he's conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus. And that's what he's trying to do in your life. And I think of finding lost treasures. There's this story in 1991, a yet-to-be-identified flea market enthusiast discovered a simple picture frame to his liking. Securing the purchase, the shopper returned home only to discover an ancient document hiding inconspicuously behind the frame. Thinking little of the discovery, he continued about his life. Two years later, a friend stumbled on the document and investigated its origin. The rest is history. 
$4 frame had hidden a first edition copy of the Declaration of Independence, oh, wow. reportedly worth $1 million, north of $1 million. That's a nice $4 investment. The accidental discovery is not isolated. There was the contractor who found, I want some of you doing some home improvement like this, this proposal. The contractor who found $182,000 in his bathroom wall he was remodeling. A $3 Chinese bowl later sold at Sotheby's for $2.2 million. It was a treasure from the Northern Song Dynasty. Then there was the California family who stumbled on a can of ancient gold coins in their backyard valued at $10 million. That's a nice find. See, we like this idea of discovering treasure, don't we? There's people who endeavor their whole life to go find treasures deep in the sea, all over the place. But God wants us, our endeavor, to be finding and seeking and digging out the treasures of his kingdom. And look at Colossians 2, 1 through 3. I love this. Paul says, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And we could just go on a detour here, but and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the what? Riches, maybe it says wealth in the NASB. That comes from the full assurance of understanding. Do you get that? The full assurance. When you fully are assured of who Jesus is in your life, fully assured of his kingdom, of his reign, there's an understanding, there's a revelation that comes, and it's the wealth. It's, there's the wealth and the riches of that, that come with that. In a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. And verse 3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says to the Corinthians, in Corinthians 1, chapter 1, he says, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from above and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that no man, so just as is written, we say we let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is the riches. He is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. And we are forever attaining to this. We are forever seeking and digging and, and finding the treasures of who Jesus is. And this treasure, Paul says, he has put in earthen vessels. Yeah. Yeah. Woo, he's put it on the inside. Do you see the treasure of him in the lives of others? Seeking out that treasure means that I'm going to find the treasure of his kingdom in those around me. I'm forever on a treasure hunt to find the revelation of who God is in his people. And to encourage and build one another up. Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 3. I'll, I'll move quickly here. But in verse 7 he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, more than that, I count all things to be lost in what? In view of the surpassing value. 
Oh, I think you need to see that. Surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. If you got King James, it says dung. So that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, the fourth thing I want to call out this morning concerning kingdom cultures is a losing to gain. Because Paul sees it. You see, he discovered the pearl of great price unexpectedly on his trip on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute Christians. He was going to do what he thought was God's work. And here, God intersects his journey, knocks him off his horse, blinds him, this bright from bright light from heaven Jesus says why do you persecute me you see he had to see that he had been actually persecuting the Lord in his actions but he sees Jesus for who he is later on Ananias prays for him and those blinders fall off his eyes and he begin but he has a whole new perspective because he has found the treasure of the king he has found the pearl of great price and now it's redirected the path and the course of his entire life because of the surpassing value. All that he had worked for, his resume, his pedigree, his upbringing, his, all this, he says before this, listen to this. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, full of zeal, so much that he persecuted the church. And get this, as to righteousness, he was found blameless. Now, if you understand what it took to be considered righteous under the law, that was quite an accomplishment. All these oral traditions on top of oral traditions added to the law. I mean, there was a lot of rules to follow. He says, I was found blameless. He had, that was something. He says, I count all that lost. I count it all lost because I've found something precious in Jesus. The pearl of great price. You see, we all have a time when we have to reappraise the value of things in our life. Right now, we live in a real estate market that many of you have benefited from. Or maybe you're painfully trying to get into it. Values doubling, that they're reappraising these houses, and there's so much more than worth than they used to be. The perceived value is increasing, but it's also on the backdrop of a massive inflation that's taking place. And so this value of your dollar is now worth less than it was several months ago. So the wealth and the treasure of this earth is diminishing in value, but his kingdom is increasing in value. And we reappraise and we look at our lives and we go, what am I invested in? Because to sell all is to divest, to liquidate my assets and begin to take all that I earned and put it into the kingdom. That's what these two in the parables did. To become and invest in the kingdom of God. But it's a risk-reward decision. 
What's the risk? You see, you can't play it safe. Both the ordinary man with the field and both the merchant made resolute decisions. They saw it. They discovered it. And they determined, I'm going to sell out and buy in to the kingdom of God. Buy into the treasure. Buy in to what I've discovered. And you see, faced with God's goodness, his mercy, and his grace, we are brought to a place of resolute decision. Will we be resolute? Will we delay? Because it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. When we see that treasure, how do we respond? You know, see, I... I had to reassess my life when I, really, when I really surrendered to Jesus. All these friendships I had invested in, I realized they didn't really love me because I had discovered a surpassing value of God's love. I had discovered the true riches of who Jesus was. And you see, when he encountered my life, he said, see, what you've had is a counterfeit, but I offer to you this. You choose now. You choose. And see, when you've tasted of how good God is, and you see that in contrast to what you've tasted of before, you can count it all lost. Come on. Taste of the Lord and see that He is good. But I had to reappraise, and I realized, man, I have invested all this time and energy in people who didn't really care about me. Relationships that they didn't really care about me. And I discovered the treasure of the kingdom where I'm loved, I'm accepted. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to perform. He says, come as you are. Come into my kingdom. I welcome you, son, daughter. Come boldly before the throne of the king in time of need and mercy for mercy and grace. And I was changed. I had to change and reappraise my life. Mark 8, 35 and 36 says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Look, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, that's what Dion Sanders described. Gain the whole world, but had forfeited his soul. It's empty. And we make... Decisions every day on how we're going to invest. And so lastly, I want to say this. The kingdom of culture is lastly giving all. Giving all. Not holding back anything. Just like Pastor Sam preached last week, I'm not telling you to go sell everything you own. Somebody said, thank God. (laughs) But in your heart, in your heart, those things can't have you. In your heart, have possessions, but don't let possessions possess you. Have things, have stuff, but don't let stuff have you. See, we divest our lives of the treasures of this world, realizing this world is fading away. The kingdoms of this world will fall and and become the kingdom of our God. That this investment here, all of our wealth here is temporal and it's already losing value. Come on. And we choose to invest our lives in the kingdom of God. We, and he says, he says this in Mark, uh, Luke chapter 
12, 33, and 34. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make for yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. An unfailing treasure. How many know your, tr- your investment is building in heaven? I'm going to store up things where moth and rust can't destroy through kingdom investment in my life. Where no thief can come near, nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the things we are invested in are the things that we care about. We see the treasure, we see the pearl, and we say it's worth it. We give all. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Don't give him part. What am I giving? You see, I'm expending the resources God has entrusted me with. We are all stewards. We need to get this. A kingdom principle is that a life of stewardship. I've been entrusted with things, and it's all the Lord's, and I'm here to steward it. When you have that attitude, it changes everything. I've been entrusted, the, the wealth I have, my checkbook, how I manage my finances, that's, that the Lord has entrusted me with that. And he makes judgments and he makes decisions. Will you be faithful in that, the little thing, which is finances, and then I can entrust you with the true riches. Yes. He's given me talents and abilities that he's entrusted me with. And the question is, will I bury them or will I use them, invest them in the kingdom and see a return? And he's given me time. You see, you might say, Pastor, my my wallet's pretty uh, dusty. Not much in there, but you have time. My abilities, I don't feel like I have a lot. Well, I guarantee you have more than you think you do. I guarantee that you need to reappraise what God has given you. The gifts and the callings that are in you are probably much greater than you thought they were. You see, it's about giving him your fat. Finances, abilities, and time. It's an internal investment with massive returns. And you know what? It's also about sharing the wealth. I know that has other meanings in political circles, but let me just say this. Sharing the wealth of the kingdom of God is a good thing because I've discovered what it means to be a spiritual millionaire, billionaire, whatever you want to say. And you know, you'll see these, if you watch late night TV, hey, I know how to get rich scams all over the place. I had this situation recently. Somebody was messaging me, and they, were, they used my uncle's account on Facebook. And they messaged me and said, hey, have you heard about this new, um, <laughs> this new grant from the federal government? You can get $100,000. Now, here's the thing. You say, Pastor, you should just, you know, you, you, you picked up on that, right? Well, I'm a little slow. <laughs> because my uncle is a tax guy. So it was actually believable. So I'm like, hey, uncle, good to hear from you. How are you doing? They played along, and and then they said, hey, you just need to text this number and $100,000. You know, and I'm thinking, well, it's my uncle. I should trust this. Seems good. Now, besides the gospel, things that are too good to be true generally are not true. 
So, a little slow, but I eventually got it. Ah, this is a scam. But they're constantly giving you the get-rich get scams and how you can get the fast track to wealth. Man, I've got one for you. The riches of the kingdom are available, accessible to you. And when you discover them, it will be costly, but it'll be worth it. It'll be costly, but it will be worth it. I have sold out and bought into the kingdom purpose in my life, knowing that all other investments in this world have a short time gains. It's a I'm in, all in for the kingdom. Amen?